Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger 2 podcast. Today we have four matches, that I mean four events that we have to discuss and also five events to preview. Uh, there is a potential top 100 bre- breakthrough, however we don't know if it's gonna happen yet. It did, um, I mean, appear in an ATP Tour event in the ATP 250 in Astana. So we have Medvedovic who can break the top 100 if he beats Korda today. Um, I think maybe I'm gonna talk about them a bit more on the next episode then because at the time of recording which is actually Monday morning but they still haven't started the match so you know I don't know if he's gonna do it but if he will then probably I'm gonna dedicate a bit of a segment to him uh, on the next episode. Uh, As it stands we had two Challenger 125s last week. I think I'm gonna start with Orléans which was probably the stronger one. Well probably I mean it was by far the stronger one. Bogota probably one of the weakest 125 pointers. Uh, but anyway, in Orléans we had uh, Thomas Mahaj beating Jack Draper in the final. When it comes to Mahaj, you know, all year I think we've been talking about him saying that, you know, he's playing excellent tennis for the most part. I mean, there was that period in July, August when he was injured a couple of times. Uh, there was also a, uh, like a few early losses in May, but he was also playing some high quality events. Um, definitely it felt like um, he did not take the chance that he sort of had around that time because um, in 2022 he was injured from April to August so he had like a a long window where he could have amassed many points and you know returned to the top 100 like you know in the the fullest extent let's say but uh, he didn't Uh, but uh, it was never really a matter of quality let's be honest and he had two finals already before this week uh, in uh, 2023 in Prostejov and also in Cassis. And uh, by winning in Orlean, by the way, an extremely tough path to the final, to the title. I mean, Cressy, Lestien, Bonzi, Gasquet, Draper. What the hell? And only Jack Draper managed to take a set of him uh, in the final. Um, I think Jack was maybe a little tired after after the long week, but Mahat still played an excellent match. And um, yeah, this was this was his third final this year, and also now he has like a streak of four consecutive years with at least one challenger title. He returns to the top 100 as well. So uh, yeah, awesome stuff from the uh, from the Czech here. And then in the uh, the finalist, as I said, was Jack Draper. Jack Draper, who um, after the U.S. Open only played one Davis Cup match against Tanasi Kokinakis. Uh, he returns in Orléans, and he is, I mean, really good shape. He uh, definitely had an easier road to the final than Mahaj. He beat Albot, Lamazin, Brauer and Vanash. But the Vanash win was quality and he never even uh, allowed his opponents to get to a tiebreak on their way to the final. 
Then, as I said, I mean, he lost to Mahaj, but it was a high-quality final. Honestly, I mean, Mahaj Draper, that's one of the best final lineups that I think we've had in a while. However, if you think about it, you know, last month, I think there was Sabofield Fonini, right? For example, that's probably comparable. I think there was also another comparable final that I'm blanking on right now. Um, what was that? Um, I mean, definitely Sabofield Fonini, that was, that was, of course, excellent. And also we had, um, um, for example, uh, Okresi Bonzi, right? Just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, that's probably comparable as well. But anyway, Draper Mahaj. Obviously, Jack Draper, if he's healthy, and hopefully he will remain healthy, he will be back into the, I don't know, top 50, top 40 in no time. And he has top 10 potential. I mean, I think everyone is, is very clear on that. But, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of, get, of sorting out these physical issues uh, this year. A couple of retirements, uh, I, th I think three of them, yeah, and also long breaks between some of his events. Uh, but now, I hope that this is a start of a very different period for Draper, and clearly indoors, I mean, he can do it, obviously, and um, maybe maybe the end of the year can be great for him as well. When it comes to the semi-finalists, we had Richard Gasquet and Luca Vanache, so a couple of Frenchmen. Richard Gasquet, of course, 37-year-old now, but still going fairly strong. I mean, he's definitely not playing as well as his ATP 250 title at the beginning of the year suggests. Uh, but he is, you know, a factor, let's say, in these challengers. Uh, he made the, we made the final in San Benedetto uh, two months ago, I think. And then, of course, Orlando. this time he beat Herbert, Immer and Ferry. I think the, the last two wins especially were pretty high quality, um, especially against Ferry. He was really pushed and still managed to prevail. You know, that, that experience, that variety of angles and spins that he has, it's, uh, it's still making him like a very tough rival to play, especially for youngsters, I think because, um, yeah, they, they, they just aren't equipped to handle it most of the time. And, and Ferry especially, he was 5-1 up in the opener and then lost the next six games, and that was just an expert um, showcase of what Gasquet can do still at this age with just, you know, the natural talent that he has. And uh, Luca Vanash was the other semi-finalist. I think a very, very nice run for him as well. He beat Molchan, Nardi and Goffin. He probably should have lost to Molchan, you know, he was 1-6-2-5 down, but saved the match point, managed to prevail, managed to take down Nardi as well, scored a good win against Goffin, and then just lost to Draper. But it was a pretty tight match, even if it was uh, just two sets, so good run for the Frenchman, for whom it was his first challenger since Bordeaux, so since the couple of challenger 175s in May. Uh, obviously, at the beginning of the year, he won a couple of 125s in Po and Sanremo. And the doubles champions in Orléans, they were Konstantin Franzen and Hendrik Jebens, beating Henry Patten and JP Smith. We actually did not get uh, Patten against Cash, and it was very much a possibility because Cash was playing with Galloway in, as the top seeds, and they were on track to meet uh, Patten Smith in the quarterfinals. However, uh, Gabriel De Bru and Antoine Oang defeated them, the, the French wildcard duo. And eventually, as I said, France and Jebens, they beat Herbert Mau, which was, which was a big win, obviously. And, and then in the final, um, Patton Smith in a couple of tiebreaks, the second especially dramatic, um, won by 14-12 to the German pair. And the other 125, as I already mentioned, was Bogota, the altitude clay 2,500 2, meters, which is uh, obviously really impactful when it comes to the conditions. 
and uh, Thiago Agustin Tirante won the title over Gustavo Haide. And unfortunately, in this one, we did not we did not get a, get a, get a final since Gustavo Haide had to withdraw with um, sickness. Uh, I got the point for Bogota this week for Tirante, and I didn't mention my Orlean pick, but it was Draper, so. Uh, you know, he lost in the final there. The rest of my picks are not going to be as good, don't worry. Uh, you're gonna see some... Uh, well, uh, yeah, the rest are simply not going to be as good, let's say that. Uh, but yeah, Tirante, uh, speaking of him, I mean, he's a beast altitude, we all know that. Uh, when it comes to playing in these conditions, like his serve uh, is obviously really good in general, but altitude is basically unbreakable. And also the, the forehand, you can just smack it, you know, defend that backhand corner, I mean, cover for it. And uh, yeah, Tirante now has three challenger titles and all of them at altitude as well. Ambato 2021 and this year twice in Morelos and then of course now Bogota. Morelos was on hard courts but, but also altitude. And in Bogota, he actually did not have it all that easy. He defeated Bicknell and Durasovic in third set tie breaks. Against Durasovic, there were no breaks for the entire match, 36 games without breaks. And uh, Tirante had to save three match points. But honestly, Durasovic kind of botched them up. Like, there was um, an unreturned serve, which is, of course, fine in altitude, but there was another unreturned serve, which was uh, on the second delivery, and it was a very tame forehand error, and actually same in the rally that happened on the third match point. Uh, just just really, really tame, you know? He, he, he was trying to play his inside-out forehand, but, like... Uh, it was clear that the nerves got to him a bit, but after that Tirante played better, he defeated Murkel Derian and Tomas Barrios Vera. And eventually, of course, uh, he, was the he was the favorite against Haide, but uh, we did not get to see the final. When it comes to Gustavo Haide, the 21-year-old Brazilian, this is of course the best run that he's had. Uh, this year he has made the switch to like playing challengers only basically. He only played one ITF event, which he won, and it was a stacked one as well, he beat Fikovic in the final. And um, this time, uh, Haida beat his previous best achievement at a challenger, which was a semi-final in Palmas del Mar this year, the, the, that event where he beat uh, Tomic and lost to Nishikori. And in Bogota, he defeated Janvier, Ribeiro, Puccinelli de Almeida, and Jorda Sanchez, and was honestly looking really strong as well. He, only, he was only broken once in the four matches that led him to the final. So I'm, I am really bummed about the fact that we did not get to see the final between him and Tirante. And obviously, this is not the ideal way for Haida to end this event, because this was by far his best run ever uh, on the Challenger Tour, and I think in general as well. But yeah, he, he is a pretty talented player, and I think for a long while I was maybe uh, a little surprised that he's not getting, like, gaining much traction, you know, that he's not uh, producing the results that we were expecting from him. So hopefully this is a start as well. And I, I am really curious to see him play at altitude again, because he, he did earlier in the year, you know, and he, he scored a couple of decent wins. Uh, beating Derbonis, beating Mejia, but at the same time he had this match with Derbonis where he won just two games, which was weird. But yeah, uh, when we have the next Altitude uh, Clay event, we are definitely going to be looking at Haida as a potential contender, because yeah, the, the form that he displayed in Bogota this week was, was quite something. And the semi-finalists, Tomas Barrios Vera was the top seed. Uh, as we all know, he is on track to break the top 100 this year. However, it is getting kinda, kinda 
uh, tough for him because uh, even though he has no thing, not literally nothing to defend until the end of the year, since Wimbledon until Bogota, he only had one match win, and this really stopped him in his tracks. You know, right now he's just not as much of a lock as he was. He is still in the ATP top 100. Um, I mean, in the race top 100. However, he's not there by like a huge amount now. So he he needs to keep winning, and obviously Bogota was a perfect event for him in that way because the field wasn't that strong and still it was a 125 pointer so yeah Barrios Vera managed to get to the semis he played fine but then the the semi against Tirante honestly it was it was a horrific show from him I I don't really understand what happened but he just came out and every single you know he has that super flat backhand right and every single backhand was like in, in the net or long basically nothing in the court so disappointing for Barrios Vera to go out like that, but you know before that he was fine and um, definitely a strong altitude player as well. Earlier in the year he won um, San Luis Potosi, right? Uh, and also uh, in Mexico City he lost to Kepfer in a great match. Um, and uh, David Horta Sanchez was a huge surprise actually, the other semi-finalist. Before this year he uh, did not play a challenger for 12 years, I think. Early, no, sorry, 13 years, yeah. Early on in his career, he got a couple of wildcards to Tarragona, which I'm assuming is his home, is like, you know, home event or something, because that's the only, um, the, this was the only Spanish event that was giving him wildcards. It was actually just twice in Challenger qualifying. And then for 13 years, well, almost, I guess, I guess 12 and something, he only played the ITF Tour, which is crazy. I mean, this is just grinding uh, to the extent that... Um, I mean, seems unbelievable, you know, but but yeah, he, he kept going and he eventually is reaping some rewards. I mean, this year he already made the semis in Troyes and now gets another semi. And I honestly did not realize how strong of a server he is, because usually from the baseline he is a bit of a pusher. I remember watching him in Poznan and it was an abysmal show. But uh, at altitude, he's actually a very different player, you know, the service is so strong and he is actually willing to take risks of the ground as well. And he beat Kingsley, Ayupovic and Tabiro. And I remember thinking that this is a very winnable draw for Kingsley. But in the end, it actually wasn't, you know. It turned out that Horda Sanchez is the altitude goat himself. So uh, Haide uh, was the player that beat him in the semis, but Horda Sanchez can still, you know, take some pride in the fact that he was the only player to break, um, to break um, Haide this week, because yeah, Haide did not play the final, where maybe Tirante wouldn't have broken him. Who knows? And then uh, the doubles champions in Bogota. It was actually a pretty surprising, um, I mean, not, not maybe not the final wasn't that surprising, but definitely the, the, the champion duo uh, of Thiago Tirante and Renzo Olivo. So Thiago Tirante getting the double there. He actually had to play the final there, unlike in the singles, and they beat Orlando Luz and Guillermo Duran. So um, not obviously Duran Luz aren't quite Duran Andreozzi, but that was still a bit, a bit of an upset. And also they beat Aribaje Sanchez in the quarterfinals. Interesting choice from the uh, very good French duo to go to South America. Uh, anyway, uh, we also had a couple of Challengers 75s. One of them was in Charleston, one of them was in Braga. We were just in America, so maybe let's finish off the, with the Challenger in the States. And Abdullah Shelby won it over Oliver Crawford. So um, a couple of maiden finalists there. Well, not maiden finalists, but players who were looking for their face, first titles. Because Shelby already had a final at the beginning of the year in Manama. That was like the big breakout run for him, right? 
And since then, I mean, he's had a few nice performances, but generally speaking, at the challenge level, he wasn't doing that well. Even in Columbus last week, he lost to Schoolcade. In Rennes, he lost to Martino and only won one game, which was a bit shocking. But in Charleston, he was almost out to Mark Royal in the opening round, you know? He went down 1-6-6-4-6. I mean, he went down 1-6-0-1. And that was with a break already. Lyle seemed to be dominating him. And, you know, Shellbach in general has this, I guess, issue with facing powerful players. Players who don't allow him to use that variety, that courtcraft. But eventually, I mean, Shellbach managed to beat Lyle, managed to beat Holt, Quinn, Penniston and Crawford. So a very nice run. In the final, he wasn't broken against Crawford, which I think was quite excellent given, you know, how he usually plays. But probably my favorite performance of his was actually against Layal. Yeah, the last two sets, he really steered them into the sort of directions that he wants. He managed to eventually get Layal very uncomfortable with the lefty spins, which for the first set was not working at all. Uh, but he sort of stuck to his game and adjusted as well and, and managed to, uh, to prevail. So this is a very good run. Obviously, he is the first challenger champion from Jordan. Uh, he has been breaking all these records, so you know it doesn't really have to be mentioned anymore because whenever Abdu Abdullah, Abdullah Shelbach does something for the first time, he is surely the first player from Jordan to do it, basically. Uh, and and yeah, he managed to claim his first challenger title. Very excited about you know what he's going to bring next year, which I think could be like maybe uh, the moment when he drops the rawness, right, the the raw factor of his game. Um, that's that's how it seems at least for now. And Oliver Crawford was the other um, finalist. Quite surprising because most of the time when we see Crawford on the Challenger Tour, he's not a factor. In um, Skopje earlier this year, he made the quarters. But over the last three years or so, Crawford has been one of the players who are killing the ITF circuit. I mean, he has won eight titles already, but six in the span of the last three years. And even this year, he had seven finals. <laughs> actually was on a streak of three consecutive finals just before uh, just before Charleston. So uh, it, it is natural for him to get a challenger run. Was it extremely strong? He, his path actually was pretty tough, I would say. Tennis Sandgren in the opening round, that's already uh, huge. Lorong Locoli in the second round, then Dostanic, and then Escobedo in the semis who actually retired. I thought Escobedo was the, was probably going to beat Crawford there. But, um, you know, still, Oli, Oliver Crawford, if you're winning so many ITFs, you're probably going to get a challenger run at some point. He was hitting his forehand, like, really sweet, and um, yeah, let's see, let's see uh, if he can keep that going. The other semi-finalists were Ernesto Escobedo and Ryan Penniston. Maybe let's start with Escobedo because I think that was a bit of a surprise. It's been a while. He actually had not made a semi-final since, um, since that um, January 2020 run in Bendigo. He won that event in January 2022, then didn't make a challenger semi-final until Charleston. So a long break for a player of his quality, obviously a former top 100 guy. Um, this is also the first challenger semi that he gets for Mexico, I guess, since he only started representing them um, after Bendigo for sure. I can't remember when exactly. And uh, yeah, in, uh, he was actually in the qualifying here. He beat Justin Boulet, he beat Rodenas, so uh, a very college route to the uh, to the final. Uh, I mean, to the major, I would say. And then he beat Tomek in a great match, also Quaco and Kudla. 
And I thought he was like really excellent this week. He was moving his feet in a way that I haven't seen from Escobedo in a while. You could see, you know, a lot of motivation as well. But then he had to retire against Crawford. So disappointing to end the run this way, but it's still a massive step forward for Escobedo. And yeah, it's, it's kind of wild, right? That he was in the top 100 and is sort of really struggling. Well, not, not in this event, but like in general. Uh, and I hope sometimes, some at some point he can, um, well, I don't know if return to the top 100, but at least just become a challenger full-time player, you know, make uh, make lots of impact, win titles again. This week certainly makes you think that maybe there is still that chance for Escobedo. And Ryan Penniston, uh, he is actually on a very good run. Uh, he won Winnipeg, obviously, that was his first challenger title. And then semis in Columbus, semis in Charleston. But we're going to see how it ends up because he was a bit injured against Shelby in the third set. Actually, a bit is probably an understatement given how he looked in the third set and couldn't really move anymore. So he played against Kips, uh, he, won Kips uh, he won against Kipson, he won against Christian Harrison and Adam Walton. That Walton win, obviously, quite good. And then uh, he also lost to Abdullah, Abdullah Shelbaik in, in three sets. First set, he was really the better player and like was taking advantage of the fact that Shelbaik was trying to blow him off the court. But when the Jordanian um, teenager started maybe playing a little bit uh, more, um, well, with, with a little more clarity in terms of his game plan, eventually he managed to prevail. By the way, sorry if there are some pauses here, but I'm drinking a bit of water. I'm actually hungover and it's it's very hard for me to maintain this uh, manner of speaking, especially by myself. But um, yeah, we, we keep going, obviously. We always do. And the doubles final uh, was against, uh, well, it was between uh, Luke Johnson and Skander Mansuri and a very surprising pairing of Nik Nicolas Bible, Bible, you know, the guy. I don't know if you do. He's 29. He apparently is a, also serves as a hitting partner for Crawford sometimes. And uh, he played um, only one singles match this year. In doubles, however, the last few years, he has been like appearing a bit more often. We've just seen him twice on the Challenger Tour this year. In Augsburg, he also played with Crawford and lost in the first round. And here they made the final, which was which was a bit of a shock, especially the win against uh, King Stalder, I think it was of, of the highest quality. But eventually it's Luke Johnson and Skander Mansuri, uh, guys who have been playing with each other quite a lot recently. Yeah, the, the semis in Kozerki, which I, which I watched live, and then the title in Istanbul and the title in Charleston. So they're actually on an eight-match win streak. And I think in just maybe how many events? I would have to count it, but I think it's maybe in s nine events they've won four titles. But it's it's not challengers in 2022. In, in 2022 they won two ITFs. So this year, this year they they've won two titles together in a row in Istanbul and Charleston. And yeah, uh, that's that's so that was the doubles in Charleston, and also we have one more uh, Challenger 75 to talk about, which was in Braga, in Portugal, obviously. And uh, the players who were in the final there were Oriol Roca Bataya and Duya Idukovic. And Oriol Roca Bataya won his first Challenger title at the age of 30, which is quite a great feat. Uh, I think especially given that his first final was in 2015 in Kenitra and then he had to wait eight years for another opportunity. Wasn't really getting to like semis quarters that much, um, like no, not at all. But you know, he is truly a magnificent grinder, I think. 
uh, a great example of how you know you can just keep playing all the clay events um, over the course of your career. Um, really, you work very hard to to win the matches because with his style, I mean, everything has to be won with um, serious physical effort. And he still manages to uh, break some sort of a milestone, you know, at this stage of his career, which is amazing. And recently, we've had him in his second challenger final in Augsburg, and then he lost to Carlos Taberner. Uh, then, I've, of course, I also got to see him in Szczecin, and he was really good there as well, beating Martinez, saving lots of match points against Team, Han uh, team Handel, and also against Copriva. He, he really made them work for it. Like, it was two hours and a half, I think, of, of two sets. And uh, I think if it went to the third, probably Roca Bataya had a chance. Uh, probably was, was going to be the favorite. And uh, in Braga, he was also in the qualifying. Actually, the only set that he lost on the way to the final was in the qualifying against Fonio. But then, then, then in the main row, what was that form? I mean, Gakov, Campania, Lee, Faria, Hassan. And eventually he beats Dwey Aydukovic, um, lost the first set when Aydukovic was sort of blasting his backhand down the line. And you know, Roka Bataya is all about that cross-court pattern, I mean, the inside-out forehand. And Aydukovic, when he had that enormous backhand down the line in the first set, that was, that was such an advantage for him. However, eventually Roka Bataya sort of started gradually changing the patterns into the ones that were more fa favorable to him. And eventually he won the match. I mean, Idukovic just imploded, honestly, in the in the last two sets. He had this point when he tried to underarm twice, for example. And we all we all know how Idukovic can be, right? Uh, I mean, the guy is is definitely um, you know quite hot-headed, I would say, and and that's keeping him back. But yeah, anyway, I'm enormous feat for Roka Bataya. Uh, Idukovic, as I said. Great year, really. I think finally he is playing up to his potential. I don't know if he'll reach the top 100 uh, anytime soon. I mean, I think pot potentially down the line he could have top 100 potential. But obviously a player with a very high peak. Recently he won his first challenger title with, uh, in Ludenscheid. Now he gets another final. He beat Hoinski, Gianessi, Blancano and Valkus. And lost to uh, Roca Bataya, which, I, as I said, was just not a good mental performance in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of how he played in the in sets two and three. Uh, the the shots weren't going in anymore, and he just completely lost it. Uh, but still, uh, we all know that this this year is such a good uh, showcase of Idukovic's talent compared to 2022, and uh, I am really glad that he's finally winning matches consistently. Uh, Benjamin Hassan was the other semi-finalist. Uh, we had him on the show uh, talking to me in Kozerki. And obviously one of the main topics was the fact that he is aiming to play Australian Open qualifying. I think these runs, I mean, he should be, he should be there, uh, clearly. I mean, that this year he's just making so many challenger semis compared to his whole career, uh, which in which I think he only had maybe one. And this year he already got there in Biel, Florianopolis, uh, Blois. Braunschweig and Kozerki, of course, where he made the final, his first challenger final, and then Braga, so six challenger semis this year. So clearly he deserves to be in the Australian Open qualifying. He beat Stoder, he beat Gigante, uh, Gigante, sorry, he beat Yamas Ruiz and Roca Bataya. Oh, and by the way, my pick for the title here was Yamas Ruiz, who sort of went away after the first set against Hassan. I thought it was actually a very strong pick, so I was surprised. And also Charleston, I had, oh, Layal, who lost to Shellbike, so the eventual champion in the first round. but. Uh, yeah, I thought Lyle was going to beat Shelby and for a while, for a set and a break, I, I thought I had it exactly right, actually, uh, with the way they were playing. But anyway, uh, Benjamin Hassan, as I said, was the semi-finalist in Braga, and the other one was Mate Valkus, 
good to see another run for Valkus, who, as we all know, is just struggling with physical issues constantly. Recently, he had a break of uh, two months after Poznan, where he uh, returned for US Open qualifying and actually took a set of Atmane, which was a bit surprising. Then he didn't play for a month again. In Sibiu, he only took two games of Emery. But this is finally better. He beats Passaro, he beats Drogen, loses to Ajdukovic. But honestly, he was struggling again uh, with his physicality. I mean, he... Um, Against Droguet, he already had a medical timeout and uh, had some weaker moments. And then against Ajdukovic. Like, I, I feel like it's never truly... Well, not never, but because he had these shoulder issues, for example. But most of the time, this isn't really like a fully fleshed out injury. He's just really struggling physically. Um, and, and it's... Uh, I mean, it's 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 definitely unfortunate because of the of the three Hungarian guys, there was a point where everyone thought that Valkus was the be best talent. I mean, um, in Sekesvehervar, when I was in uh, when I was there in March, I chatted with the Polish, um, obviously the the Polish challenger player, the fi finalist of Zadar 2022 that you that you all know, uh, Daniel Michalski. And I was chatting with him just about the sort of Hungarian players and how it's so amazing that they managed to get three of them, I mean, three, three stars like this, Maroshan, Valkus and Pirosh, in, in just two birth years. And he, he also said that, you know, that Maroshan was probably the one that he thought was not going to be as good as he is. Right now, Maroshan is, of course, the, at the top. And Valkus was, was the one everyone was like, okay, this guy is properly talented. I mean, he should be in the top 100 easily. And right now, I mean, if he ever sorts out the injury issues, I think this is very much a possibility. Right now, I, I would say Pirosh is probably the least naturally talented one, but, uh, you know, he is obviously extremely good as well. And and Valkus, um, I, I hope that he can ever sort of uh, find it. And maybe at some point Hungary could have four top 100 players in the future. Who knows? I mean, right now it's Maroshan Fucovic. Pirosh still was still with a good chance to get there this year, and Valkus is definitely a bit far away. But um, again, um, with him, I think it's all about that health. And if he ever gets a season where he's not injured, maybe he's gonna be doing what he did in Skopje, you know, earlier this year when he won his first challenger title. And also, Valkus has never even been in the top 200, by the way, which I wasn't aware of. His career high is 204. So that's uh, absurd to me with his with his level of talent. And did he? I mean, where where is he going to be after this run? Probably not in the top 200, right? <laughs> I would assume that that's not enough. I actually haven't checked that, but let me let me do that very quickly. And Valkus will be uh, yeah 214 or something like that. So maybe the top 200 breakthrough is what he's gonna have to settle for this year instead of the top 100. But maybe in the future, let's see. And um, yeah, the the last um, winners that we have to cover is the Braga doubles, obviously. And Bortolotti and Yetan won it over Tarvalia and Weiss. I also read something on Twitter from uh, Gaspar. Uh, Ribeiro Lanka that um, Marco Bortolotti lost his father recently and sort of dedicated the title to, to him. Uh, so there were there were a lot of emotions for the Italian there. Uh, Bortolotti, I think that was... Uh, well, it wasn't their first event, but they're, they're not playing with each other that often. In 2019, apparently, they won a couple of ITFs together, but this year they only played Como and Braga. But this was a, this was a nice run, and especially the win over Cervantes Roca Bataya. Also, Duncan uh, Willis, 
the legend Marcus Willis was also uh, one of the players they managed to beat this week. Yeah, and now let's get to match and upset of the week. Uh, maybe let's start with the match of the week. As usual, I managed to put out the poll on Twitter. You guys have voted for Gasquet Ferry. I mean, there's still seven hours left, but I'm assuming that Gasquet and Ferry are going to stay on top. I think the other main contenders were Tirante Durasovic, Escobet Atomic. I would not hate you if you said that Mahat Draper was also a contender, I think for sure. But I, I wanted to go for something may, maybe a little more dramatic, even though Mahash Draper had the third set. Uh, I think that match was not as good as it could have been. However, obviously it was very high quality. I mean, it's got them Mahash Draper playing in the Challenger final indoors as well. So obviously it was very high quality. And I personally, I think I'm going to go with Escobedo Tomic maybe. Just seeing a couple of these um, former legends, I would say and uh, them battling it out with each other, also with Mike Cation on the, in the commentary box. I think that that adds to the experience as well. Uh, there was something magical about that match for sure. With, and um, yeah, lots of drama in the third set as well, Escobedo eventually winning after a crazy battle where sort of Tomic had a chance to uh, make up for some of his recent losses where he blew leads but eventually didn't manage to do it and and yeah it ended up um, as sort of a gateway for Escobedo to uh, to make a very good run as well so that's so that's nice and we also have to talk about the upset of the week of course which I honestly completely forgot about. I think we've already seen one of the craziest upsets uh, for next week, but I'm gonna talk about of course talk about it later of course when I'm chatting uh, when I'm talking about um, Campinas. However, uh, in Bogota, Horda Sanchez over Tabilo, I think not really. By the time we had um, Horda Sanchez reaching the quarters, it was clear that he's very strong at altitude. Uh, and other high, high scorer was an Huertas del Pino upset, I mean over Huertas del Pino, so I don't think it really counts either. Um, in um, I mean, in Orlam, I think it was one of these cases where the field is so strong that there's no upset potential really, because anyone can beat anyone. I guess maybe Draper Lamazin, you know, if that happened, that would have been huge, or Draper Brower, but it didn't, of course. Um, then again, in Charleston, do we really have any picks uh, as well? Garrett Jones beating Petchy Pericard, I might go for that actually. Um, let me think about it. Hassan Yamasruis, I don't think it's that huge, you know, Hassan is so good. Faria over Skatov, oh, maybe let's go for, with that one. I Jaime Faria over uh, Timofey Skatov in Braga. I, I definitely thought that Skatov has such a good draw in Braga, and it's also an event that he made the semis in last year, so that was really disappointing, I think, for the Kazakh. And that's uh, where we arrive at the previews. So we have five events to cover. Let me quickly, I, I believe three of them are Challenger 100s and two of them are Challenger 75s. So we are definitely starting with the 100s uh, as, we, as we often do. Um, the 100s for this week are Campinas, Mulleron Le Captif and Alicante. Maybe let's actually head to Alicante, which is the Juan Carlos Ferrero challenger. Lucas Klein is the defending cha champion and he is as in the event as well this year. Yes, and um, of course it's a hard course challenger by the way, because Alicante sometimes makes you think clay. It used to be a clay challenger, however the past few years it's, it's on hard courts. And the top seed is Constant Lestien playing Federico Gallo. There's Emilio Nava in that section as well, playing the wildcard Diego Augusto Barreto Sanchez, who I honestly don't know anything about. Uh, Artur Cazor is the fifth seed, playing Raul Brancaccio, and Maestrelli Landaluce could be their opponents. 
maybe Landalusa can finally get something going at the challenger level, but so, so far the 2022 US Open champ has not looked that great. Uh, but Kazan, I think, is a very strong contender. He lost the end as well. Benoit Per is the fourth seed. He will play a qualifier and then he will play a qualifier again. And also in his section are Maximilian Marterer as the sixth seed playing Moro Kanyas, and then Klein plays Ivashka. So that's a really exciting match, I think, uh, in the opening round already with Ilya Ivashka playing the challenger level sort of infrequently, right? I mean, this year, did he? how many challengers did he play? Surbiton, Bordeaux, and that is it. So just the third challenger appearance of 2023 for Ivashka. But, you know, he is down to number 155 in the ATP rankings. So clearly he needs to play more challengers soon. And his win rate for the year is very poor. Then we also have Thiago Agustin Tirante as the seventh seed. I don't know how he's going to pull it off, you know, flying over from Bogota. But he's playing a qualifier in the opening round. Then Neukrist or Grenier. Uh, Pedro Martinez is the third seed and he's playing Pablo Carreño Busta. So Pablo Carreño Busta is going to be here in a challenger. Um, once upon a time, he used to be a very successful challenger player, naturally. Now it's not really what he mo what he's most often known for. Uh, last time he played the challenger was actually Mohamedia 2015 uh, against Kamil Maikshak in the semis. I remember that event very well because it was Maikshak's first challenger uh, final. He lost to Carbaez Baena and it was also the famous event where Marco Cecchinato fixed a match against Kamil Maikshak. <laughs> but anyway, um, in, 2000, uh, in 2015 that was his last challenger. So it's been a while for Carreño Busta. Obviously, he's an ATP 1000 champion, a US Open semi-finalist, so an excellent player. But this year, he only played four matches. He is struggling with like persistent uh, elbow issues. And uh, yeah, he chooses to return in Alicante. And then I think he's also signed up for one more challenger. Pedro Martinez, not an easy draw. I actually wonder how this match is priced by the bookmakers, because it's so hard to assume Carreño Busta's form. He's actually the favorite there which is, um, I don't know if it's fair. I mean, it's just such a guessing game. And uh, yeah, it's still a very exciting to get Pablo Carreño Busta here. Uh, definitely watching this match later today. And uh, Alex Molchan is the second seed, also a tough opener against Denis Novak. There's F Federico Ferreira Silva playing a wildcard Darwin Blanche, the youngest of the Darwin, of the, of the, of the Darwin, of the Blanche brothers. Also the youngest of the, Dar uh, of the Darwin, uh, I guess, uh, of the Darwins, since we, I also only know Charles Darwin. And he's definitely older than Darwin Blanche. And uh, the eighth seed is Mattia Bellucci playing a qualifier and then Adrian Andreev or Elias Immer. When it comes to the qualifying, do we have anyone here who can really uh, shake things up? Caruso Santillan, that's a nice uh, final round for sure. There's also Dali Blanche, uh, the other Blanche brother. Ulysses was also going to play, but he withdrew with uh, some back issues. Martin Dam, maybe. I would love a run from him. Um, as you guys know, I've been sort of waiting for it uh, when it comes to Dam. But yeah, that, that's maybe it when it comes to players who could do something in this draw. It's really strong and I, I think the qualifiers are going to have a hard time most of the time. Uh, not picking the defending champion Klein, you know, uh, he has a tough section. Ivashka, Marterer, then Per, that's really rough. Karenio Busta, I'm not going to pick him in his first event back, no, I, I want to see how he does first. And I think I already sort of hinted at it, but I'm going to go with Artur Kazo. Uh, I hope that Kazo can you know, get to the top 100 relatively soon. As you guys know, I'm definitely a big follower of his talent. And if he is healthy after Saint-Tropez, which I think he should be, you know, he, was, uh, he had a week of rest. 
I think he will be a big factor in this event as well. Lestien in the in the quarters potentially. That's really tough though. But yeah, all of these sections are pretty strong, so I wouldn't feel that comfortable picking any player realistically. But someone has to be the the, the mention, but and it's going to be uh, Kazo for me. Uh, so Mulerone Captif is the other Challenger 100 in Europe. That's a indoor hardcore, very fast indoor hardcore. Uh, Yella Cels is the defending champ, but he actually is not there. He is uh, currently um, like you know, trying to get back on track after some health issues and also just the sheer poor form of this year because his win rate is actually at four, well, three and twenty-one or something like that, which is pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, he's he's out of the top three hundred. He soon might be as low as like seven hundred, but right now he's also uh, not healthy, which does uh, add a bit of um, you know it, it, it makes his issues even even stronger obviously uh, but anyway uh, no sales here but we have the top seed Ugo Gaston playing Otto Virtanen that's an insane opening round obviously then Valentin Royer and Mat Matthias Borg could be their second round opponents was this the event that Royer made a run at uh, last year I don't think so I think it was something later but Anyway, also a strong uh, player, naturally, who hasn't really shown his full potential yet. Maxim Cressy is there in this section as well, in this quarter, playing Antoine Escoffier and then Diallo Orsacco. So not an easy one for Cressy, especially Diallo Orsacco, I think, could, could definitely battle against him. David Goffin is the fourth seed and he will play a qualifier and then a qualifier, so he's in a very similar um, spot as Benoit Per in Alicante. In fact, Per was also the fourth seed and playing qualifiers only. Marc-Andrea Hüssler is the fifth seed, he really needs some wins and he could get them against a qualifier and then Zapieri got a qualifier. In the bottom half we have only one qualifier compared to the five in the in the top one. And Thomas Mahach is the eighth seed playing Hies Brauer, there's Pierre Gerber uh, playing Joris Delors, Benjamin Bonzi is the third seed playing Ilya Marchenko, we also have Luca Nardi playing a qualifier. And uh, this is an insane opening round by the way, Jack Draper plays Jakub Menchik. I mean, wow. Menchik was sick last week, and I think it was just sickness, though, not injury. And Draper will see if he plays after uh, Orléans, but I hope he will. This is an insane opener. And then Dino Prismic against Dan Adet. How exciting would it be, by the way, to get Menchik playing Prismic, maybe? You know, the two um, sort of juniors from last year that actually managed to make a very good transition to the pro circuit and already are making a lot of impact, not only in challengers, I mean, even on the main tour. And then Dominic Stricker is the second seed, playing um, Matteo Martino and then Jules Marie or Luca Poulain. Uh, let's see about the qualifying. Is there anyone really? Iji Vesely. He lost the set to Lyutarovic yesterday. I did not see that. that that's crazy. Gabriel De Bru is there. Antoine Bellier maybe on these very fast courts could be dangerous. Uh, wasn't Rosenkrantz wasn't here? That's that's a bit interesting because a couple of years ago he um, made the semis at this event, so I'm I'm surprised that that Rosenkrantz did not decide to play this again because well, he is um, he's usually very good good on these courts, but apparently he's not playing uh, a challenger this week, and um, but would he? Yeah, he he would have gotten in. Um, Lamazine as well, really good form. Uh, finally got a, challenge, uh, got a challenger win, uh, and you know he finally qualified for a challenger in Orlando last week. Who else? Arthur Ferry, yeah, the quarter finalist in um, Orlando. That was that was a great run. Ferry has he uh, chose to uh, has he chosen to skip the la the remaining years in college in Stanford, 
I think so, but we haven't gotten the official announcement or anything. And yeah, let's let's see about the main draw. Who is the favorite there? Uh, I'm not picking Draper to go back to back. I think with his physical state, it's probably not wise. I'm also not picking Mahaj to go back to back. Uh, that bottom quarter with Draper, Menchik, Stricker, that's tough. But then again, Stricker has a couple of easier rounds, it seems. So maybe he's the play. Goffin playing all of these qualifiers, Zapieri, Hussler. Actually, you know what? Nah, I, I can't. Can I go for David Goffin? I guess I will. Uh, you know, the, the fact that he's facing a lot of the qualifiers, and the qualifiers are, on average, definitely a lot weaker than the main draw players, it, it kind of makes me think I should pick him. Uh, and he did look good in Orlau. Uh, he lost to Van Asch, but but it was a very nice run from the Belgian. So, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Uh, David Goffin here in Willeron Le Captif. And the last Challenger 100 is in Campinas in South America. Uh, Jan Hoinski is the defending champ, he is there. Uh, last year it was the final against Varias, where Hoinski, uh, I mean, they, they had to finish it in Rio de Janeiro, I think, actually, uh, in, 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 on an indoor clay court. We did get the stream, but it was just a couple of games. Uh, but anyway, this was, this was uh, by the way, also Hoinski's first challenger title. Now he has two, I believe, with Merbush this year. Anyway, Federico Coria is the top seed. He plays a qualifier and then a qualifier or Corarini. There's Hoinski, the defending champ, playing Reis da Silva. That's a very good opener against, I mean, that's a very good opener in terms of our viewing enjoyment, not for Hoinski. Uh, then Trujelliti Pellegrino uh, could be the, the, their rivals. Francisco Comesania, will he keep up that uh, challenger quarterfinal streak? I think he has a good chance to do it. He plays Nick Hart and then um, a couple of qualifiers. Francisco Comesania, by the way, recently gave me a follow on Twitter. So if there's any chance that he might be listening to this, <laughs> thank you, Fran. But uh, obviously, yeah, probably not, but uh, still. Uh, I thought that was an interesting mention. Anyway, uh, a couple of qualifiers uh, could be the rivals for... Uh, well, one of one quali well, a qualifier will be the rival for either Comesani or Hart. So the draw is there for him to keep that quarterfinal streak going. Then we have Ugo Carabelli there as well playing qualifier, and one of them will face Andreozzi or Fikovic. Uh, Ugo Delian, sixth seed, plays Eduardo Ribeiro. And this is actually a rematch for their uh, clash last week where Ribeiro managed to beat Delian in the opening round. I think on altitude, Delian is probably the favorite. However, you know, it adds a lot of spice to this matchup for sure. Enzo Lima, another wildcard, is playing Rodriguez Taverna. We have a very exciting couple of first rounders here between Haida and Monteiro. Monteiro really needs some points, some wins. And Delbonis Diaz Acosta. That's, that's, that's absolutely massive. Meligeni Alves is the seventh seed. I think this is the first appearance of his since the US Open, where he obviously was really amazing until he got injured against Baez in the second round. And then uh, he can play, uh, after the qualifier, he can play Buruchaga or Zanelato. Zanelato, the Brazilian who recently got the upset win over Lamazine in Europe. And also we have Juan Manuel Serundolo as the second seed, playing Murkel Delian, and then Darderi or Puccinelli de Almeida. Is there anyone in the qualifying? We definitely have to mention this. Uh, I mean, a 28-year-old Brazilian wildcard, Jefferson Wendler Filho, defeated Pedro Boscardin Diaz from like, what, 0-6-2-5 down, I believe? And the odds on that match were just insane. I mean, it was literally... Um, I, I saw 17 at, uh, at the website that I checked uh, a second ago. 17-1, to 1, which is just incredible. Um, you very rarely see upset like upset like this. Obviously, my Polish bookie where I, where I'm checking right now had 11, 
which is also insane. And I don't know what happened in that match, really. I mean, 6-love, six, six 5-2, then Boscardin Diaz like, barely wins points, barely wins games, really, until the end of the match. But uh, I didn't watch it. Someone someone texted me about it after after it happened, after the comeback was pulled off. And that's insane. That uh, Wendler Filio, who, by the way, before this year, he did not make a professional appearance for 12 years. <laughs> He had a couple of, literally a couple of professional matches in 2010 and 2011. One of them to Thiago Monteiro, by the way, getting double bangled in 2010. And this year he played an ITF event where he lost in the opening round and now he beats Boscardi in the Ashen Campinas. And today he can, uh, he's going to play Jose Pereira. We'll see if he, if he makes it, that would be insane. Uh, but anyway, in the qualifying, any contenders? Daniel Dutra da Silva is the top seed. We have Blaze Bicknell as well, but playing Pedro Sakamoto, you know, that's a good one. Facundo Mena, he has been getting back on track a little bit. Mateus Alves, I'm, I'm hopeful for the Brazilian as well, in terms of maybe at some point breaking into the challenger level. But we'll see. Uh, who am I picking here? I think I'm actually going to go with Comesania, you know, the, the easy uh, couple of uh, rounds. Uh, they really speak out to me, the fact that he plays hard and then a qualifier. I think he has an excellent chance of making the quarters. And from there, it's lit it's a little tough. But for everyone in the draw, it's, it's tough, you know. Campinas is a strong event. Serundolo playing Delian in the opening round. I mean, Murker, but still. Darderi in the second or Puccinelli de Almeida. That's really rough. Diaz Acosta, not really a play when you have Delbonis and Monteiro there. I actually feel like Thiago Monteiro could go really deep. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, Francisco Comesania. Or actually, you know what? Because Monteiro recently had that Genoa run, which is pretty good, right? And he also beat Rune and Davis Cup. You know what? Let's be, let's be bold here. I'm actually going to choose Thiago Monteiro, even though he is in a very tough section with Haida in the opening round, then Delbonis or Diaz Acosta, and then Hugo Delian. Uh, potentially in the quarters or maybe Rodriguez Taverna. But yeah, I'm, I'm choosing Thiago Monteiro here. Let's let's be bold about this one. And we also have a couple of Challengers 75s to cover, which are in Lisbon and Tiburon. Uh, as I said, as I did with the uh, recaps, you know, we were just in the Americas. Let's stay there. Let's go to Tiburon. Zakaris Faida is the defending champion. He's also here playing uh, as the third seed. And Alex Mikkelsen is actually the first, um, you know, the first player in the draw, the top seed. He plays a qualifier and then potentially in Pechi Pericardo qualifier. Uh, we also have Ryan Peniston, the seventh seed, the, the one who just made three consecutive challenger semis, playing Mitchell Kruger. We'll see if Peniston is healthy after that injury against Shelbach. Uh, he can play Baris or Skullcade. Dennis Kudla, Bernard Tomic, that's a very nice veteran matchup there. Uh, one of them can play Layal or, or a qualifier. Lerner Team has a wildcard. That's really exciting. The uh, Australian Open runner-up and also the US Open runner-up, right? Uh, he lost to Fonseca, I think. Um, so he, he plays a qualifier and then Walton or Pospisil. I feel like Walton Pospisil, that's a match that we've seen recently. Am I right about it? I am. Walton beat him in Grand B in, in three sets in the opening round. Then uh, in the bottom half we have Tennis Sandgren, the eighth seed, playing a qualifier, and then qualified or Shelby, the, the winner from Charleston. Zacharis Faida, whom I mentioned, is the defending champion. He plays Christian Harrison and then Dostanich or Steve Johnson. Oh, that's really exciting that Steve Johnson is in there. Uh, Alexis Galarno, the fifth seed, plays Patrick Kipson. Uh, one of them can face Polichak or Dugas. Polichak, the uh, 2020 Wimbledon Juniors champ. And the second seed is Nicolas Moreno de Alboran playing Alexander Richard and then Locori or, Locori or Johannes Mande. 
let me look at the qualifying with Cannon Kingsley beating Brandon Holt yesterday. Trevor Sfida is here also. He was um, he played the U.S. Open, right? Uh, main was it main draw? Wait, he played Duck Duckworth. No, it wasn't main draw. It was of course the qualifying because he was the finalist in Kalamazoo, I, I think, losing to the aforementioned Lerner team. Uh, Trevor is, is of course the brother of Zachary. Uh, we also have Skander Mansouri, who just, you know, got some nice momentum in doubles. Maybe that helps him, we'll see. He plays Bryden Schnur in the final qualities round. But generally speaking, the qualifiers are probably not going to be that much of a factor, I would assume. It's it's another strong draw, honestly. This is a very strong week for the, for the challengers. And it's going to be hard for me to stay, uh, like, to... to not pick Alex Mikkelsen, I think. I, I still feel like he has a very good chance of making it to the top 100. This year, um, he recently made the semis in um, the, the event that Sfida won um, over Hijikata. What was the, that event? Kerry, maybe? Yeah, I think it was Kerry. And uh, then he had some rest, and I think Mikkelsen is going to be a very dangerous contender here. Um, Petri Pericard, second round, that doesn't have to be easy just because of how, you know, the Frenchman doesn't give you rhythm. But I think Peniston, I think Mikkelsen could beat him. Uh, Kudla, if the courts aren't as, um, you know, slick, he probably has a good chance against him in the semis or like Layal. Yeah, I think Mikkelsen is probably the, the my pick here. Um, Steve Johnson, I wonder how he's going to do, you know, because recently, obviously, he had like a huge, huge challenger run, uh, winning Lexington, winning Bloomfield Hills, and we haven't seen him on court since the US Open, so uh, it's going to be quite exciting. He actually has fairly close odds on him against Dostanich, which is interesting. I mean, if he was playing, if he had more rhythm, I think like a month ago, Johnson would have been a much, much bigger favorite. But right now, maybe it's actually... Um, yeah, maybe it's right. Maybe it's justified. Uh, Galarno, Moreno, Dalboran. I mean, all of these guys could could win this, but I don't think they have the potential of Mikkelsen, and that's why I'm gonna go with with Alex Mikkelsen. And uh, yeah, let's let's go over to the last event, which is Lisbon. Uh, Marco Cecchinato, the defending champ, but he's not playing. Uh, I think he's just has he been playing? Maybe, maybe he's out for a while, right? I mean, he hasn't played since stretching, so uh, I'm not sure what's what's going on, but. Uh, but he hasn't played since Szczecin when I watched him against Maestrelli. And uh, yeah, Lisbon, we have Albert Ramos Vignolas as the top seed. He plays a qualifier, then Gastão Elias or Fatic could be his rivals. Uh, another Portuguese wildcard. This is, by the way, a section of three Portuguese wildcards where João Souza can play Pedro Souza in the second round. Pedro Souza, by the way, if you're surprised to see him here, yes, he did retire earlier this year, but he said that he might be back for the challenger in his hometown. Uh, someone on Twitter, by the way, thank you, told me this week that Pedro Souza is like very, very connected to this event. He even had, uh, like at the facilities, he had his wedding or something like that, a, a, a wedding party, which is amazing. And then Pedro Souza is going to play T2 Androga in the opening round. So I don't know if he's going to end his career with a win, but, you know, hopefully he can just play well and, and freely and let's see what happens. And yeah, there could be a Souza-Souza in the second round, which would be quite exciting. Pablo Yamasrui is the fourth seed, plays Genesi, then a qualifier or Roca Bataya. Uh, Ivan Gakov is the fifth seed, playing Blancanor and Pasaro or Hassan. Maybe it's another good section for Yamasruiz, we'll see. And in the bottom half, we have Gigante playing Agamemnone, Travaglia also in this one, so uh, very Italian. Maybe an, a qualifier can also be Italian, we'll see. Uh, because a qualifier will play Travaglia. Skatov, the third seed, plays Bonadio. That's a good opening round as well. And Valkus or Lavagno could be their second round opponents. If Valkus is healthy, I mean, he should be in the second round here. 
Uh, then we have Zdenek Kolasz as the seventh seed playing Gilles Arnaud Bali, the uh, two-time uh, juniors runner-up, uh, junior slam runner-up. And that's also a very good opener, I think. Aitukovic uh, Emery, that's, that, that's great too. I mean, both of these guys are so mercurial, but if they actually manage to peak at the same time, that would be huge. And Flavio Coboli is the second seed, playing a qualifier and then potentially Campania Lee or a qualifier. So I have a couple of ideas here with the picks, but let's talk about the qualifying uh, first. Uh, Oleksi Krutek, the top seed, playing Taberner. That's a huge final qualifying round. I really like that one. Uh, Baranko Cosano, Henry Squire, Enrique Rocha, maybe. Um, Dalavale as well. I think he's getting some form back now. But but anyway, I'm probably not going to be looking at the qualifiers, potential winners here. And let's think about it. I mean, Ramos Vignolas, will he win a challenger at some point? I don't know. I'm actually not really confident in it. I think my first idea was Yamas Ruiz again, but playing Genesi in the open air. Maybe potentially a rematch with Hassan again in the, at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, Roca Bataya as well in the second round. That's not that easy. So I think I'm actually going to go with Koboli. Uh, I know his quarter could be tough. Campania Lee also isn't that uh, simple in the second round. Uh, but I, I said this a, um, a while back that Mahac and Koboli are both players who I was shocked that they don't have a challenger title sort of, you know, this year. Because um, Mahaj, I mean, he, he at least had a final in Prostejov before wh when I said that. And Koboli, with all the great form that he's been in this year, you know, and then getting pretty close to the top 100 again, he actually doesn't, has, doesn't even have a challenger final this year, which I think is, is, is just weird. The dichotomy is, is, is uh, not right there, I think. Uh, it's just a matter of um, the fact that he's like, getting many consistent results, semi-squarters, but but he's not actually getting to the final. And I think eventually he should do it. I, I, I don't know if he's gonna, I don't know if he's gonna pull it off. I remember when I said that, I, I said that both Mahaj and Koboli will win a challenger title until the end of the year. With Koboli, of course, we only have two months left, so I don't know if he's gonna actually, actually gonna do it. But uh, yeah, I, I really like the form that he's been in this year and I uh, think he's capable of another deep run. And that's going to be it for today. Uh, we chatted about the five events that happened. We also have the four uh, previews. Uh, that's going to be an under 60 minutes episode this time. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. And see you in seven days when I'm going to be chatting about Tiburon, uh, Lisbon, <laughs> Campinas, Mulerole Captive, and Alicante. Yes, I got it. Uh, oh, talking today honestly was really tough with the hangover, but um, hopefully this time next week I'm going to be in better shape. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll see you guys then.